Welcome, everyone, to Episode 6 of the Speak Up by Avalon Bay podcast. In this episode, a group of Avalon Bay associates have gathered together to share challenges and successes, trials and triumphs that they have experienced as they navigate work and home as a single parent. So we're here today to talk about navigating work and home as a single parent. So first things first, we'll just go around and kind of just introduce ourselves, say your name, your position, and which region that you work in. So I will start. I am Denise Evans. I am the regional operations manager for the Mid-Atlantic and uh, Florida regions, and I am based out of the Arlington office. I'm David Heber. I work in Northern California. I'm a construction superintendent for the Redux side. I'm Gina Roberts. I'm the Portfolio Operations Director, and I work in New Jersey Long Island region. I'm Jen Cooper. I'm a uh, construction project manager, and I work out of the Irvine office in Southern California. I'm Josh Spalasso. I'm director of safety for the West Coast, and I work out of the Irvine office. All right. So kind of in that same order, how we just introduced ourselves, just want to know what does your single parenting situation look like, like your home life? So for myself, I am the mother of an 18-year-old daughter, Anissa, 14-year-old son, Julian. It has been just us. I have full custody of them. So they are with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So David, what does your home life look like? Similar, but I only have one kid to chase around. I have a five-year-old daughter and I have full custody of her. It's been me and her for about the past four years. So I've been doing that on my own. I have two boys. My older son is 14 and he is very much a teenager right now. And then my younger son is 10 and he's still kind of a snuggle bear. So that's fun. Our situation's a little wonky. Um, for all intents and purposes, it was intended to be 50-50, but it ends up being a little bit more 75-25. And that's just with life and the pandemic and school. And I've always been kind of more of the school parent. And so that kind of continued on through my divorce. So when it comes to what the boys need Monday through Friday, it's just easier if I stay on top of that stuff with them. So for all intents and purposes, it's roughly 75-25. Well, uh, my situation is a little different because I decided to go on double OT. I have a 23-year-old that I was a full-time single mom for 100%. He is no longer living here. And now I went into double OT. I have a five-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. And I have 100% primary custody. They do have visitation uh, with their dads every other weekend. And uh, this is Josh. Let me start out by saying I am no longer a single parent. So I kind of snuck in here with some single parent experience. And I have a 19-year-old daughter. I have a 17-year-old son. And I have a 17-month-old baby girl. You like Gina. You went back into OT also. All right. So again, since we're here, you know, we have that single parent lifestyle going on. We don't have someone in the house with us where we can easily just tag in and say, you have bedtime tonight. You've got breakfast making in the morning. It's just us with the routines every day. So are any of you close by friends or family who can help you out with the daytime routines or the nighttime routines or the school pickups, the appointment drop-offs? And if so, has COVID affected this partnership at all to where there's a break in that and you're trying to figure out how to get it on track? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, it's just been me and my daughter for a long time, but fortunately, I, I moved to be close to my mom and my sister, and I got a lot of help from them. My daughter has a cousin that's a couple of years older, so it was really convenient to be close to my sister and get help with play dates and, and the occasional pickup. But 
since shelter in place went into effect, we haven't really seen much of my sister or my daughter's cousin. So that's been kind of hard, but I've gotten a lot of help from my mom. She would pick my daughter up after school. She's in a really great distance learning supported daycare program right now. She actually goes back to school on the 30th, which will be great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do most of the pickups and drop-offs, but I get some help from my mom. She'll watch my daughter, pick her up early and watch her for a couple hours if I have to work late. My village is on the other side of the United States. My entire family and most of my friends are in California. I am in New Jersey. So I do not have a village unless I insert my credit card. <laughs> so I have <laughs> or, um, babysitter that can help me out when I need to during the pandemic. I had to sort of pay for a nanny and, and sort of work through that. If I want to go out, it's quite expensive. So I, I, I think twice before I, I utilize my paid for village. But other than that, it's really just me. I don't have any close family or friends here. I have a village of friends. I've lived in um, my city for about 20 years. So I do have some really amazing friends, but they're also, they have their own families and a couple single moms. So in the case of an emergency, I would have some options of who to call, but on the day in and day out, it's just us. I do all of the doctor's appointments. I do all of the sport events. I do all of the parent-teacher conferences. My life pretty much revolves around them and their schedule and what they need. And, you know, COVID's been interesting. I'm literally being eaten out of house and home. And, (laughs) you know, I was in doing my finances. I was trying to figure out where all my money was going and it's going to food and electricity. So (laughs) the financial part is difficult because I don't get financial support from their dad. So single mom, single income, trying to figure it out. Josh, did you have a situation or were you kind of close by your kids or your friends and your family? You know, most of my family is in Northern California. So they're about 350 miles away. So um, a lot of transportational needs and stuff like that, we would have to, I'd have to rely on either my ex or I had a sister that actually was living in Huntington Beach for a short while. So sometimes she would help. Huntington Beach is right next to Long Beach where I live. And as my current wife came into my life, I would have to rely on my then, you know, girlfriend or mother-in-law, soon-to-be mother-in-law. And sometimes it was interesting trying to find a way to make it work. You know, as we joke about using the credit card, definitely had to hire someone just to take my son to school, which sometimes there would be like a lot of turnover with that person. And so it would make it very awkward for my son to get in the car with like someone new uh, Mm -hmm. just to get him to school and you know, there was a lot of late starts for me and a lot of trying to just drop them off at school at like 630 in the morning and have them stand there for an extra half an hour or 45 minutes in the cold while I'm off to like L.A. or wherever I have to be. So there was there were some challenges there, but always pulled it off somehow. <laughs> oh, that, that's a good point. I remember this that you hit right at home when you said dropping them off early. I was always trying to find before school programs to put my kids in. And if I couldn't, it was just a struggle trying to figure out how am I going to get them there because I need to be at work at this time and I don't have a way to get them there. Or I didn't really feel comfortable with them standing outside. But again, just like you, that's probably the solution was you just got to sit there for a little bit longer. So no, I, I definitely resonate with that. With us, just maintaining that sense of you have everything together 24-7 in front of your kids can just get exhausting because you don't want them to see you sweat, Right. And there was a time because my kids are older now, so I don't I think I'm not doing this anymore. But there was a time where I was literally hiding in the bathroom or in my closet just to get five minutes to myself of just not hearing them. 
how are you all finding time for yourself these days? It's that's not easy to prioritize time for yourself. You you kind of feel guilty about it. I feel more guilty just being away from my daughter so much. Denise, like you said, I'm I'm usually the first one to drop my kid off at daycare or at school, and sometimes I'm the last one to pick her up, and I, you know, I struggle with that. So I don't always feel right about finding time for myself. So I try and do it, you know, on my lunch break at work, go for a walk, and sometimes I've hired a babysitter for a Saturday or Sunday just so I can go for a run, but. Most of my free time, I really try and spend it with my daughter. So I'm not the best example for finding time for myself. But that actually is a good point. What you just said, you know, you feel guilty about it and that you you end up not doing it. And looking on along, you know, around some articles, one of the things that kind of hit me was, you know, on an airplane, they say if the oxygen mask comes down, you put it on yourself first, then you put it on those around you. And it was like, you need that time for yourself first, because you need to be able to make sure you're okay mentally, physically to take care of your kids. So you kind of have to find time to put yourself first, even though you you definitely feel guilty. They make you feel guilty sometimes about it, but you need that me time in order to be strong and, you know, for them. Yeah, I agree with you, Denise. I think I feel very similar to David because I'll say pre-COVID, now I'm home, but, you know, dropping them off very early, they go to after school care and, you know, I'm picking them up at six o'clock, then there's dinner, then there's bath time, and then there's bedtime routine, and then there's homework. And like, there is no time unless I just want to stay up for the way just to say I checked the box. But, you know, with them, in my case, going, um, you know, to their dad's house every other weekend, I only have two weekends out of the month to make it count. Yeah. And so it is very challenging. And you use the word guilt. And I know that I'm supposed to find time for myself and I deserve this. But those feelings inside, like, oh, it does make you sort of pause and go like, oh, I'll worry about myself later. I want to, you know, get some quality time in with the kiddos because, you know, Monday through Friday from six to eight is not a lot of time with your children. And so, you know, I really, really, to this day, for the past seven years, so my uh, middle child seven have struggled with just trying to be okay with saying, I deserve this. I need to go. It's like my birthday or an occasion. I, you know, think I want to do it. I have company from out of town. But on a regular, no, I struggle with that concept in general, just because I know a period of time that they're, they're going to be children and little and need me. And like you said, those those hours in the afternoon, six to eight before you put them to bed, as soon as they go to bed, you're doing laundry and, and cleaning yeah. up. And, and when they're home, you're making meals for them. So you don't really get enough time with them. It's hard to make self-care a priority. Yeah, I operate on the every other weekend schedule as well. And I've only been divorced for almost four years now. So in the beginning, on the weekends that I didn't have my boys, it was really, really hard. And even now on the nights that I don't have them, the first night, like if it's consecutive nights. The first night that I don't have them, I can't sleep and I get total insomnia and the house is too quiet. And I've gone through waves of being, you know, super focused on self healing and hobbies and learning the guitar and going to yoga and doing all kinds of things. And then there are other times where the house is just too quiet and I just sit (laughs) in a quiet space sometimes. So there's a lot of processing that goes along with, you know, being a single parent or becoming a single parent and trying to find ways to appreciate quiet time that you have that you never wanted to have. <laughs> and then, um, you know, the time that you have when you're with your kids, like I keep awful sleep hours because of that same thing on the Monday through Friday that I have the boys, 
we're constantly rushing from one thing to the next. And then they're finally in bed at nine or 10, at which point I feel like if I don't take an hour or two to watch a show or drink a glass of wine or read a book that I'm cheating myself out of just me time. Mm. So I don't know how many of you guys keep late hours, but I definitely keep later hours than I should. I wish that I didn't, but yeah, the free quality time, it's a challenge. And for our dynamic, my ex-husband does a lot more things. He goes on trips and goes camping and does all of these things. And so the question of, oh, can you have the boys on this day? Or, oh, can you have the boys on that day? My answer is always yes, because I never want my kids in the you know vicinity of, vicinity of that hearing this conversation about having them, because I never want them to feel like they're not wanted somewhere. It's maybe not the healthiest way to go about it because I don't leave much time for myself. And my, you know, ex does make time for himself, but I don't want my kids to ever think they're a burden on me or free time or going out or having fun. My job at this point in my life is to be a parent and then to be a good associate at work and then to be a good friend. I kind of forgot about something that Jen reminded me of, and that's that funk when your kids go to the other parents that that I would get into. And I don't think I can relate to what you went through, Jen, as being a mother and just having that motherly connection with your kids. But I definitely know what that's like to kind of like zone out and be kind of hung over for a little while. That's something that was tough. And I can remember times where it was very much just me and my ex was away at work for months at a time in a different area. And those those personal moments or kind of recharging moments and became very short they became like my commute home was my me time or that 30 minute shower after I got everything done and I had a 30 minute shower and it almost isn't enough. I mean, it isn't enough because the whole time you're in that commute or you're in that shower, you're just stressing about like the next day or that night and trying to juggle everything. And uh, is everything okay at work? Because I had to leave at 445, you know, that sort of thing. So those those recharging moments are important, but they're they're tough to get for sure. What she said also hit with me too, because again, like I said, I have my kids all year, and they're during the summer they get with their dad for it starts out a month, and then it usually shortens itself as they find themselves. You know, I need to be back in the city with Wi-Fi or you know things around. They don't want to be in the country anymore. So for that first week or so, I didn't know how to turn off being a mom. It was like. I don't have to clean every day. I don't have to cook every day. I, to this day, do not know how to make a meal for one. I cook for three or four people <laughs> every night. I'm so, I, I didn't know how to turn it off. So yeah, that is, a, that is something you do kind of have to get adjusted to as they go to the other parent. So in a situation where you were with the other parent and you found yourself being a single parent, how do you start setting work and life boundaries at home? Like to where you're not overextending yourself. So for example, you might have been able to put them in T-ball in the spring and football in the, you know, in the fall. But now that you're separate, you can't do that as much or you can't volunteer in school as much. How do you kind of set those boundaries between work and home? I've been with Avalon for 15 years. So I have a lot of tenure that allows me to have very open and honest conversations with the people that I work with and for. And not to say that people who just started Avalon can't have those same conversations, but there's a comfortable level with it. There's a trust level with it. And I make breakfast for my kids every day. And it's like bacon, pancakes, potatoes, like we have breakfast. 
and I walked them to school, or at least up until COVID, we, we walked to school. I wasn't willing to give that up. And I work in the construction group. Josh knows everyone's in at the freaking crack of dawn, cranking away. And I had to tell my director that it is important for me to have breakfast with my kids. It is important for me to walk my kids to school. I will get all of my stuff done, but I'm going to be in between 8.30 and 9 because that allows me to be able to get my kids to school. And they've been through too much to lose even those, like they've lost so much. I'm not willing to let them lose this normalcy that we have. And it's important and it's healthy for them. So, you know, things like that, I just, I'm honest about what I need. And even with sports events and, you know, doctor's appointments, I do, I do steer my kids to sports that are less, have less time requirements. So there's that. But I do try really hard to commit to getting them where they need to be. When it comes to sports and those activities, their dad does like to be involved. So I get, you know, I get more shared time on those things. But I work really hard and I love my job and I love my family more. And, you know, our our previous VP was such a proponent of work-life balance and that family comes first. So it made the conversation for me really easy to be able to say, this is important and I need to do this. So I've been fortunate enough to work in a department where that's always been honored and allowed. Yeah, I really like what you said, Jennifer. I'm kind of naturally an open book, but I think you're right. You need to speak up and, uh, you know, be honest. And I've had great managers at Avalon and they've all been really flexible and understanding of, you know, my commitments at home. Yeah, I agree with that. And I haven't been with the company that long. It's been four years. I was with my prior company for 18 years and there was no work-life balance at all. And that was one of the, the reasons that I left. And I am fortunate to have a VP that you know has children and does have a high level of understanding that things happen and that you may have to change your schedule. You may have to leave work early. You may need to you know come in late. I'm I'm usually not one that's going to speak my mind unless I have to do it because I don't like to mix the two. I don't like to mix my work with my home life, and I also just feel as if when I'm at work, I want to give my 100% of work. And when I'm with my kids, I want to give my 100% with my kids. So I try at best to separate the two, which isn't always easy to do, but that's why I pay a little more for daycare, make sure that I'm not about where they're at. And I do try to pick those sort of, um, my daughter's in a hip hop class on a Saturday, Unfortunately, my ex is not that supportive. It's If it hits on his Saturday or Sunday, he is completely aggravated by having to take him to taekwondo or hip hop class. He will do it, fortunately, but it's not all that, it's not that easy trying to get them involved in stuff because of my work schedule. But I think in general, just trying to be able to balance it all. I haven't quite figured it out yet because I'm missing out of the equation. I'm able to balance work, the kids, but then there's this piece where I'm trying to figure out where I fit into that, but they are so little. So a lot of times I feel very compelled to just motherhood and always be there. And I've got all the activities going on and I'm, you know, I'm on Pinterest and trying to figure out all these qualities. <laughs> <laughs> to do with them because I'm not exactly creative. This COVID certainly has caused me to fine-tune my cooking skills and and also figure out some creative things to do at home and outdoors. I am definitely one that, you know, likes my fine dining and my children 
but it is challenging. And I do agree with you, Jennifer. It's not always easy for me, I'll say personally, just to go to my boss and say, hey, I have a situation. Even though I know that he's probably not going to give me pushback, I think it's just me wanting to not allow home life to impact my work life. But I'm getting a little more comfortable as this COVID has persisted and in trying to really make sure he understands what I'm dealing with and what type of accommodations I might need to navigate through my day. Yeah, I mean, don't mis- mistake what I said is like this, you know, huge sense of confidence. Because with every single one of those conversations is like 50 other ones happening in my head about, you know, perceived judgment or, you know, perceived inability to get my job done or here Jen comes with another, you know, thing. Like all of that still plays out. I can't control it. And the only thing that I can control is what it takes for me to get my job done and how to show up for my kids. And so it's a constant juggling act. and. I spend way too much time in this head thinking through all of the steps that go into it. Right. uh, Gina, I know you're a people manager, and I'm not sure if anyone else on the call is, but a lot of websites, if you go to it and look for advice on how to navigate work and being a single parent, the number one tip is always set your expectations about your boundaries, set your expectations about your schedule. How could or how should an associate go about that without seeming so demanding, but still making it important so that you know, the manager understands and is responsive? It's a pretty easy question for me because I'm very open with all of my associates. You know, I don't have a lot of associates that have children. So, you know, the, the two that I do have that have children, I'm very open in terms of being able to speak with me and I have children. So I think they feel a little bit more comfortable, but I think it's really just letting someone know to Jennifer's point saying like, you know, Hey, I have a situation on Friday, you know, I've got a parent teacher conference or I have my schedule, the kids schedule change. I need to pick them up at five and instead of six, is there something we can talk about with my schedule and not necessarily demanding it, but just opening the door for that conversation. Because a lot of times you may not know the solution and you may, your manager may say, you know what, Hey, why don't you you know, come in earlier, leave, you know, leave earlier or whatever the case may be. I, I think you just have to open your mouth. I think you have to to ask the question and really be prepared for not necessarily them saying, oh, sure, go for it. Because the business needs do matter. And I'm well aware of that. You know, so I am in a different position than many of my associates where they do have to go into the office. They have to be there physically. And a lot of times we can't make those sort of arrangements. But, you know, I think you have to have the conversation just to see if there's some sort of um, arrangements that can be made. Because I do know one thing that Avalon really respects their associates and the work-life balance. And I think be able to come up with a solution if you just at least have the conversation. Hi, everyone. This is John Cove, Senior Director of Benefits and Payroll. I wanted to remind you today that Vita Health, Avalon-based lifestyle coaching program, is available to you and your dependents completely free of charge. Vita's coaches can help you develop an exercise and or weight loss program, design a meal plan that works for you, provide resiliency coaching and stress management techniques, and even help you sleep better. To get started, visit vita.com slash Avalon Bay or search for the Vita Health app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. I was thinking of a couple of things. Jen, you mentioned an SVP that used to be here. And I remember a story where I, I flew in from like Houston one night and my plane was messed up and it was late. And I think I got home at like one in the morning. I got up early. I came to work 
and I had plans to go camping with my son the next day. And, and that SVP walked up to me and it was like one thirty, and I was leaving. I was out the door. I was tired. And he asked me to do something. And, you know, this is the kind of person that you just do anything for at a moment's notice. And I just looked him in the eye and I said, look, I made plans with my son and I'm sorry. I got in late at 1 a.m. and I'm going home and I'm going to pick him up. And um, he knew that I was serious. (laughs) And um, I guess my point is my experience here at Avalon Bay, whenever I brought something up to any supervisor that I've had or, or anyone that I've worked with, they've always been very accommodating and understanding. And so I would say to the person listening that uh, you shouldn't be scared to bring things up to your supervisor when they relate to your family and don't feel guilty about it. Just talk to them about it. And I would say to the supervisors that are listening, people will go much further for you if you are accommodating in this area. I know for me, I will always remember that conversation with that SVP and other people around me that were understanding and supportive and on the back end, I, I'm willing to do more work and harder work for them down the line. I couldn't agree with that more. That's like, it's so on point. And I think, you know, all of us sitting here who manage people have had conversations where our empathy for what they're going through is so much higher because we know what that life is like. And in my office, I'm the only single parent in my group and everyone else's kids do sports and after school things. and all of the things and my kids shouldn't have to not do those things because my household looks a little bit different. So just extending that empathy, like even if it's not necessarily your situation or circumstance, just kind of thinking about your own home and life dynamic and the things that you're able to do and the hours that you're able to work because you have someone else at home. Empathy is huge when it comes to understanding and managing uh, a single parent. Has anyone ever had a time where they've kind of had to step in and be vocal about the fact that, you know, I can do extra work because they they think they're helping us out right in saying, you know, being very protective, which we can all appreciate our home life. But then you just kind of have to step in and say, no, I can actually take this on. I've got this at home. I definitely feel that all the time. My boss is, is extremely accommodating and always mindful that I'm a single parent and I have small children. So I think he, you know, he he hesitates sometimes like, well, you know, does anyone want to do that? And he'll kind of look at me like, I don't want to say this and you can't do it. But, you know, usually I can kind of see the look in his face and go like, I I, I can get the day off. Or if there's an event that's after hours, that seems to be my sticking point. If there's a gala and obviously this is pre-COVID, but there's a lot of events that happen after hours. And luckily they're on Zoom now, so I can kind of keep the kids quiet. But I I struggle with making sure I have a babysitter. Is it going to be too late? Is it going to be too expensive? Um, So there's there's a lot of things that I struggle with when we have those after work events. But I also know that a part of my role is to engage in those events and be there to support uh, my associates, whether it's an award ceremony. But I will tell you that... uh, my direct supervisor is just super mindful that I am a single parent and he'll almost, uh, you know, as a side note, check in with me to say, hey, are you good with this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good with it. And I do appreciate the fact that he does that and just doesn't take for granted that I can figure it out because sometimes I simply can't. You know, I mentioned earlier, I don't have a village. So I'm very dependent upon 
the babysitter that I have selected and making sure she's still available, you know, and she's a teenager, you know, 20 year old. So who knows, but he is very mindful of that. But I also am very vocal in trying to insert myself and not seem as if everything is going to be a problem that I'm asked to do. I haven't experienced that myself directly or not that I'm aware of. I have had conversations with, you know, my management or my leadership team about other associates who have a lot of family commitments. And I think I try to remind them, you know, if there's a concern that this person isn't going to be able to do this potential commitment, let's let's talk with them about it. Because you won't know until you have that discussion with that associate what accommodations they might have access to. So, you know, like I, I said that, you know, I like to make breakfast for my kids, but there have been times where I have to be in Pasadena at 8 a.m. or I have a training in the corporate office that starts at 8 or sometimes even earlier. And, you know, I, I figure it out. Like if it's something that I have to be at, I'll figure it out. And the dropping the kids off earlier, you know, doing whatever those things are. But I've not felt like I have been that anything has been presented to me or not presented to me based off of my schedule limitations. But I've definitely been a part of conversations where that has been considered for someone else. So uh, my suggestion is to just, you need to have that conversation with the person because we don't know what their life looks like or what options they have if we're not talking to them about it. So Josh, you hit on a topic earlier where you actually asked for help and your supervisor was amazing and was accommodating. And that's actually like a happy path scenario, right? Where you ask and then someone actually comes through. And just like you said, when that happens, you're more willing to put out and work harder for this person. I was in a situation where I was on site and because I live on site, I get a housing discount and um, we get bonus checks where not ideal, but when you're a single parent, you're paycheck to paycheck. Financials are, st- are stretched. And I uh, didn't get my bonus check and was going to run the risk of being late on my rent and losing my discount. To which myself and my coworkers needed to ask, you know, hey, can you send an email to Associate Housing to explain what happened? Which was all we needed was just an email to explain what happened so that we can keep our discount and that, you know, when we get our paycheck, we can pay our rent. And the response to us was it was our fault we were in that situation. We should have six months of saving put aside. And when you're in this situation, you're already, you already feel guilty and down. So I'm already on the ground, A, because I'm in this situation, and B, that I had to actually humble myself and ask for help because I take pride in doing things myself and fixing myself. So that was just a kick to the stomach while I'm already down to hear that I am a failure because I don't have six months put to the side. So my response, not ideal, was to completely shut down, not ask for help anymore, because I'm assuming everybody is going to be that same, you know, have that same mentality of you should have. So when you find yourself in a roadblock or in a place where you've been shut down or you've asked for help and it's just been a roadblock, whether in work or outside of work, do not be like me and completely shut down. What's your advice or what paths do you take? That's a hard one because not in that particular situation, but, you know, there are situations where I can't figure it out. I don't have anyone to watch them. I don't have anyone to sort of step in and I don't want to feel bad about it. Right. So, you know, that's, that's the situation where I think, you know, sometimes less is more, meaning maybe if a person has that particular mentality, you know, explaining more isn't really beneficial, it could be more of just saying like, you know, 
I have a situation, something came up, being as, as invasive as possible, but I'm going to need this to happen, but also being very firm in what you need the accommodation on or whatever you might need. Uh, that's unfortunate to hear that somebody would even like say that to you in that particular situation or try to rate what someone's finances should be is a little concerning or a lot concerning, I guess you could say. I, I've never really experienced that before, and I don't even know how I'd handle it if someone were to approach it in that manner. I, I don't know. I, I know it wouldn't be to shut down Denise. I know my personality. <laughs> but to, to Denise's story, and it's very crummy that that was the, um, yeah. the outcome. It's it's a privileged outlook on what finances in a single parent's life should be. And Denise and I had a, a conversation earlier in the week, and I was just saying how, you know, one of my greatest stresses in being a single parent is my finances. It's it's very, very hard. In addition to daycare cost and medical insurance, I tried to keep as much of my kid's life the same as it was, which means I live in a very expensive city, and I'm now living in that same city on one income because I wanted to make sure that my kids had access to all of the same things. And money is tight. And so you think about all of the stresses that you have just as a single parent, you know, kids being healthy, getting them where they need to be, showing up at work, not letting your work suffer because you get pulled in all these different ways. And in the back of your head, you're also having to think about your finances and making sure that, you know, each penny is going to make it to the place that it needs to go by the time it needs to go there. So, you know, to have someone then put your fiscal responsibility back into your plate upon a mistake that they had made is very disappointing. So it goes back to that empathy point. As we grow and become managers and teach the people that are, you know, under our umbrella, the way to handle these conversations, that that would not have been the correct way to handle that conversation coming from that person. Not at all. And you mentioned a good point, trying to keep things sort of the same. And I, I did the same thing. And even in a relationship, it was more of, I was handling 75% of the, the finances. He's a barber, so not enough heads or hours in the day. Um, so, you know, it made it really challenging, you know, after he left to, to try to do this on my own financially. So, you know, with that additional pressure of trying to keep things the same, even though the income isn't the same, is very challenging. And, and I think that, that goes back to parenting being a little creative these days trying to do things on a budget, trying to cook instead of going out. Um, <laughs> a lot of things <laughs> have to change. And it's not always easy to make that transition without impacting them and their daily routine. With all that you've been through and knowing what you know now in your single parent journey, what advice would you give your younger self about being a single parent? I just say, uh, you know, don't let your pride or your self-doubt get in the way of you being honest with yourself about what you can handle and what's out of your control. Uh, and just try to be proactive in some regard and just ask for help before you know you really need it because it's not going to be easy. I wish I'd have uh, raised my hand sooner years ago and asked for help, but I know I'm stronger for it now. I know how much I can handle, much more than, than I ever thought I could. But yeah, I would have reached out for help sooner. I like that you said reached out before you knew you needed help because there's a time, especially with me, I'll wait until I, I'm at the end of my rope. And then my dad and my mom, I'm crying. I'm, and they're just like, why didn't you tell me any of this sooner? Because like, we could have avoided a lot of your frustrations and your, and your anxiety 
had you just come to me weeks ago and asked me, or I had this months ago, why didn't you just ask me then? So that is, I think that's key, asking for it before you even know you, you even need it. I would remind myself or I would let myself know, my younger self, that with all the struggles between work and home and feeling like I'm failing at everything, you know, that I'm my own worst critic and I'm punishing myself the most. And, you know, when I look back on those times when I was a single dad and especially when I was really single and and my ex was far away, that those are the times that I'm most proud of and that I was really shining during those times and I was doing a really great job. That's what I'd want my younger self to know. I didn't realize how powerful this topic was until we started getting into it. But, you know, when I think about what I would tell myself, three things comes to come to mind. You know, one is that your best is good enough. And as long as you do your best, be content with that and understand that your best can change. If you're sick, if you have a situation, you know, as long as you're doing your best, be okay with that. Be okay with that. That's the first thing that I would tell myself. And the other thing I would tell myself is give yourself permission to take care of you first. It goes back to what you said, Denise, put the mask on first. It's okay. Um, Give yourself permission to take time for yourself. It's okay. People will still survive without you for three hours. You want to go out. And the last thing I would say is that to give yourself a pat on the back when you get through a rough day or when you slide into home plate, as I call it, instead of just figuring out what the next thing to do is, just take the time to say, Ooh, you did that. <laughs> you nailed it, girl. And so give yourself a little bit of gratitude for being able to manage as a single parent because it's really not easy. I think kind of similar to Josh's note, I remember things feeling so bad and so heavy and having to remind myself that like, it's going to get better. Like, it's not always going to feel this way. It's not always going to be this heavy. It's not always going to be this intense. Like it, it is going to get better. And I think I would remind or tell myself that you'll be strong. You'll get through it. It will get easier. Just those encouraging reminders that as humans, we're we're capable of so much healing and so much growth. And no matter how low it feels in that lowest moment, like it it gets better. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, which is something that I learned from my therapist that I saw during my divorce, I was really concerned about if my kids were going to be okay. And she told me, and if I could take this nugget and give it to younger Jen, that Kids really only need one healthy, happy, stable parent. They just need one. And if they have one, they'll be just fine because the knowing of love and security is what kids need. And if we're the parents giving them that, they're going to be absolutely fine. And that would have saved me many, many, many years (laughs) of worry and concern had I known that earlier in my life. My advice to younger me would kind of go back to what David said is just making sure I ask for help. I don't know if anyone else is like this. I actually came from a single parent household myself. So my mom, I looked at my mom as, a, you know, when she was a single parent and I would look at myself sometimes. I'd be like, I don't remember her breaking down and crying this much. I don't remember <laughs> her. Trying to so I felt like I just had to just suck it up and be as strong as she was. And then not realizing she was probably in the background crying too, I, but she just never let me see it. Unfortunately, I have a lot of triggers now, you know, that, that developed because I tried to be so strong for so long. That I just stopping and asking for help would have saved me so much time, so much energy, 
It would have given me my sanity back. I probably could have had more time to give to my kids in some spaces instead of just being, you know, depressed and just feeling just what am I going to do? So definitely stopping and asking for help. And then definitely, like Jen said, just you're not killing them by doing certain things, by telling them, no, you're not killing them. I tried to overcompensate a lot because it was just me and them. So if they need, if they wanted the latest and greatest, I broke my back to give it to them. I always try to take them places. I tried not to let them know that they were in a single parent household. So I always try to do the field trip chaperones. I always tried to come to the school and be the parent, you know, classroom parent. I didn't want them feeling like they were feeling left out from the experiences that their other uh, kids or their other friends were getting. So just like Gina said, taking time for myself, <laughs> taking a step back, asking for help. They'll be fine. They're resilient. They're not going to break. So definitely that's, that's advice I would have given myself. But something I've been grateful for has been the free telemedicine that we've been getting that we were allowed to get this year because I'm using that again for therapy sessions to work past some triggers that are a result of some of the experiences I've been through. Are there any resources that you all are using right now or have used in the past to help you along in your single parent journey? Yeah, uh, Avalon has the employee assistance program that has confidential support, not just um, finding resources, but counseling and referrals. I've taken advantage of that over the last few years. That's been great. Great Avalon resource anyway. Josh, have you used anything? Just the resources available to us at Avalon? Or no, outside, inside or outside. Yeah, I mean, you know, the care.coms, the stuff like that. It was always challenging. And it, I mean, even with my 17-month-old, it's still challenging to find people that are um, reliable and consistent and know what they want to do. And um, there's a lot of turnover when you can have someone help out here and there. I've had to use care.com as well. I think for me, it was like totally against anything my family would ever imagine. Like, what, a stranger? What, like, what are you doing? And it's like, I don't have anyone here. I don't have a choice. I will say I've been very lucky during the pandemic because I have an older son. So he was able to recommend his friend, which I had met her before. They went into high school together. So that worked out really well. But when she went back to college, I did have to get a subscription and and find another nanny and do interviews. It was very stressful. But in terms of what I do, what resources, I do like to to get a lot of affirmations. I like to listen to a lot of positive podcasts, just kind of self-help sort of podcasts that I can just listen to and just get some tips and tools on how to you know, meditate in the morning, give myself five minutes before the kiddos wake up and, and, and really try to sneak some time in, as I call it. I'm like, yeah, I'm a late nighter. And sometimes on the weekends when they're gone, I do absolutely nothing but binge watch something on Netflix. I don't go anywhere. I'm just drink my wine. And I'm like, yes, I've watched 10 episodes. <laughs> Living my best lives. Very <laughs> You know, Gina made me think of something. It's a really good point. You know, the, the Front Row Dads is a podcast that I used to listen to. I, I don't that much anymore because I just kind of moved on. But um, they have a really good Facebook group. And I know, I think, David, you were mentioning that it might have been you in the last month or so that you you had a group and they had suggestions for like kind of like meetups in your area and ideas for hanging out, you know, with the kids. And if you're like me, then you just don't come up with all these great ideas or or your ideas are not cool for your kids. So you got to come up with other ideas. And I've also read the love languages books, the like love languages for teens. And I know like Jen, you have boys Uh, for my son, like Adam, 
he stopped being a hugger. And when we're on the couch, you know, he can't touch me anymore. You know, he's got to sit over here. And reading through some of those books helped me because as Adam grew up, he became more handsy. You know, he'd, he'd punch me in the stomach, you know, when I'm walking by or, you know, he hit me in the arm and, you know, I'm getting really upset with him. And then as I'm reading through these books, I'm understanding that boys sometimes will show affection and love by wrestling and, and punching and doing things that they didn't used to do when they were little and sweet and innocent. So those, those books are great. I highly, I recommend those. So I'm not the best at asking for help. I'm sure it's a predisposed childhood, you know, whatever you want to call it. But I am a firm believer in therapy and I've gone to therapy for many, many years and I've utilized Avalon Bay's, you know, you get so many free sessions with a therapist. I have someone who I've seen for a few years now. That's great. Again, because of my background, therapy is not really something that's, you know, always been easy to admit that you're doing or that you are seeking out. My family was always very much you keep our stuff in our family. So for me to go in the beginning was kind of a big deal, but it allowed me to have a place where I can talk about myself (laughs) and it's much different than a friendship or a partnership or, you know, those other dynamics that you have where your conversation is give and take. I'm paying someone to listen to what I'm going through and then provide suggestions of things that I can do, which for me has been huge didn't have the best childhood upbringing and trying to raise two amazing men in this world. And it's helped me kind of see myself and where I come from, heal from the things that I need to heal from, and then also give my kids tools to be the, like the beautiful strong men that I want them to be. So therapy's kind of been my go-to. I also read, I read a book called how to talk to your kids so that they can listen which was a great book and just understanding the different age groups and and what resonates with them and and communication. I talk to my kids a lot, probably far more than they would like me to, but I carve out time for them when they need it. You know, my 14 year old, he's, you know, this, his MO is uh, asking a really deep question right at bedtime. And while I want to shut it down sometimes because I just want him to go to sleep. I never shy away from those conversations because for him, that's when his brain's processing. And that's when, you know, some of the best information or best moments have come out. So I make that time for him. And then, you know, to Josh's point, my 10 year old man, he's like, that kid does everything with 150 degrees of energy. And it's all very physical. It's like a, a hug that tackles you, like a kiss that leaves your face, like slobbed on. He's just everything all the time. And for him, that's how he shows his, you know, his affection. He's not a gentle cuddler. He's a lot. He's a little beast of a kid. But I think through all of my self-work and the reading that I've done, I love them the way that they need to be loved. And that's different than what I would need when I was a kid. And it's different for each of them. So seek the tools that resonate with you. For me, it was therapy and reading. That's another good point, Jen, is the the counseling and stuff is all free to us right now with, with our benefits. If you get on, I think it's like MD Live and something else, and you can talk to someone for free. Yeah, it's free for 2021 already. So, that's And we, right. we do use Teladoc. I've been using it for a while, and we do use it. So I've got my younger son is immune compromised, and so he's on the you know high tier of risk. For kids. And if I don't have to take him to the doctor, I really just would prefer not to. So it's been nice. We've used it a few times in quarantine already. 
All right. Well, this has been awesome. To Gina's point, like I am surprised that this came up as a topic. I told Joby I had to like tear my eyes and say, am I reading this email right? That this is the topic <laughs> So no, I have loved this past hour just hearing all of your thoughts and your stories. I thank you all so much. This has been amazing. Thank so. you. Thank everybody. Thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Speak Up by Avalon Bay podcast. We hope this empowers you to speak up too. If you have comments you'd like to share or topics you would like to suggest, you can send them to us at our email, speakuppodcast at avalonbay.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, where our topic will be bringing your whole self to work. All statements expressed on this podcast are those of the participants only and not of Avalon Bay communities. Avalon Bay and the Women's Leadership Network reserve all rights to this podcast and its contents. This podcast is copyrighted and may not be reused or rebroadcast without permission.